the book of 3rd John as we conclude our study uh, through John's epistles this morning. 3rd John, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, a tale of two testimonies. A tale of two testimonies. 3rd John, we'll begin to read in verse 1. Won't you stand with me, all those that can, and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in 3rd John. Begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says these words. The elder... <coughs> To the beloved Gaius, <clears throat> whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully. Whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We, therefore, ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who who loves to have the preeminence among them, he does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words and not content that he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your spirit would challenge us and speak to us today lord i if we pray each week god i pray if there's one here that's never been born again god if they died today they'd go to hell because they've never turned and trusted christ to be lord of their life to pay god for sin's penalty uh, lord i pray they'll do that today you'll convict them you'll draw them and they'll choose to turn god i pray you'll speak to your church today lord in that uh, the original message that you desired to write through John to this church, it will challenge us today, Lord, through the time-transcending truths. And God, I pray that we will have a testimony that points others to you and encourages others in you. Father, I pray that we'll not have a negative testimony anyway. And God, I pray we'll never tolerate amongst us those that do, Lord, uh, who claim to be Christians but have never known the name of Christ. God, you accomplish your will in our lives today, and we'll thank you for that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And I encourage you to be seated. <clears throat> in the second John, John wrote a letter to encourage um, a mother. We entitled that Truth for Training last week. A mother had a great testimony that she had uh, brought her children up under great commission uh, training and had trained them in the way that they should go, and as they went out, John noticed that. They had a solid testimony. So he wrote back to encourage her. But also it was, uh, 
There's a plan that we can implement, not only in families, but in the life of our church to build disciples. But in John 3, uh, 3 John, John writes to encourage a church leader. Um, there's a leader of a local church. He's got a problem. He has some hardship going on within the life of his church. There's an individual in the life of the church that's causing heartache. He's causing difficulty. He's causing trials within the life of a church of individuals who are seeking to build disciples. You know, we don't really know what, if they had a motto, uh, but they were certainly living out, reach, teach, and encourage. This was a church that was reaching people with the gospel. They were seeking to train people how to be disciples. They were encouraging people to serve the Lord all the days of their lives. Three names are recorded in the text. There is Gaius. Um, he's the leader that needs some encouragement. He's got a great testimony. Uh, and then there's Diotrephes. He's got a bad testimony. And then there's Demetrius that John feels led just to set the record straight about. And he has a great testimony. Two have a positive witness. One have a negative testimony. A testimony is simply this, friend. It is the audible and visible demonstration of one's commitment to Christ. Now, don't you listen to me. Everybody in this room that names the name of Christ that says, oh, yeah, I've been born again, I've been saved, you've got a testimony. You've got one. And it, it may not be what you think it is, um, but everybody earns their testimony. It's a reality. How you speak at all times, how you conduct yourselves and live out the gospel. There's really not four gospels, there's five. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the other one, it's not in some cult's Bible. It's, it's the gospel according to you. It's the gospel that you live out before a lost and dying world every single day. And not just a lost and dying world. At home and in the life of the local church, you, you have a testimony. And so this is a tale of two testimonies <clears throat> and the influencing power that they can have on the lives of others. Now listen to me. John's going to name names. And I want you to understand this morning, this wasn't personal for John. See, John didn't have a vendetta against Diotrephes. Uh, don't forget that in, in John chapter 19, uh, verses 26 through 27, as Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says these words, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, who's the disciple whom he loved? It was John. And so when Jesus on the cross realized he's about to die, and he looks down upon his earthly mother, he needs to give someone charge of his mother. Well, in his omniscience and knowing all things, he doesn't pick Judas, he's already gone, or a Judas-like person. Peter, he's gone back to fishing. He doesn't ask Peter. But here's John who is wholly and totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what ministry's about for John. It's about Christ first in all things. And Jesus looks at his mother and says, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that very hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Why do I read those verses? To try to establish that Christ himself affirmed that ministry wasn't personal to John. And so as John names names, it's not John versus Diotrephes. It's, it's Diotrephes against the church, and John represents a disciple, an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's nothing personal that's taking place here. John's just trying to set the record straight all through the inspiration 
of the Holy Spirit. So two things I would call your attention this morning. First off, I want you to notice the influence of a negative testimony. Now, again, a testimony is simply someone, when they name the name of Christ, it is that audible and visible demonstration of one's commitment to Christ at all times. And so this is the testimony of uh, Diotrephes that we find in, in verse number 9. He had a very negative testimony. Well, what were the components of that? Well, first off, his, he, he was devoid of humility. Look what the Bible says in verse number 9. John says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. So here's an individual. He wanted to be first in all things. He wanted all the glory within the life of the church. Well, friend, the disciple doesn't want any glory. They want Christ to receive all the glory. So his life was completely devoid of humility. He wanted the preeminence. Really, it came down to this. Ministry was all about him. You see, when, when he came to the local church, he would say, you know, well, well, that's my ministry, and that's my people, and that's my group, and that's my room, and those are my chairs. And, friend, the disciple realizes this. Everything here at, at, this, at this place where we assemble, it's not ours. Who's it belong to? It belongs to God. And a disciple realizes that everything we have in our lives, our family, our health, our finances, our home, our car, our clothes, everything that we have, even the air that we just breathe, it all belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're simply stewards of that. But that wasn't the case for Diotrephes. He was, he, was, he was building his own kingdom within the life of the church. And anything that challenged that kingdom person or teaching, Diotrephes was against it because his life was devoid of humility. But not only that, he wouldn't receive the Word of God. When the Word of God was preached and taught, he liked it as long as it supported what he wanted. He'd amen and he'd be all support. But when it was contrary, he was one of these individuals say, we know there's some contradictions in the Word of God. Friend, I want to remind you, there are no contradictions in the Word of God. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. The Bible contradicts man. Stands against who man is on his own. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of its ways are death. That's what, that's what man's plan and man's pathway leads to. And so there's never a contradiction in God's Word. The Bible simply contradicts people. And he wouldn't receive the Word. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 9. John says, I wrote to the church, and remember this is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it's not John's message, really, whose message is it? It's God's message to the church. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, he does not receive us. He doesn't receive what we have to share. And see, because Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, it teaches this, as the word of God is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, it is the discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, friend, you'll hear, if you're out of line with God and His Word as a disciple, or if you've never been saved, and you're just a good Baptist, you see, you'll hear the Word of God preached and taught, and you'll think somebody's been reading your mail. So that, that, that preacher's preaching right to me. He's always focusing in on me. I feel like I'm just being targeted all the time. Well, friend, it's not the preacher and it's not the teacher. It's the Holy Spirit. He's ringing your bell. 
And God knows exactly what you need to hear, friend, and you're not going to get more light until you respond to the light that you have. And so Diotrephes, he wouldn't receive the word of God. He was a lot kind of like Amaziah. Remember in uh, Amos chapter 7, God sent Amos during the ministry of Jeroboam II to go to the northern kingdom and to preach the word and tell him, if you don't repent, God's going to send judgment. And judgment came in 722 B.C. because they wouldn't turn. But Amos chapter 7, Amos is preaching his message. And Dr. Amaziah, you know, the hired gun for Jeroboam II, he comes out and says, you know, the, the land's not able to bear this word. All these words that you've got, they're, just, they're, they're, they're too much for us to process. This is, just, this is too heavy. We need something more encouraging. And so Amos says, well, you want something encouraging? Well, prepare to meet your God. And he begins, friend, with both barrels just to let it out, what God had to say. It wasn't personal. He was simply just delivering the message that God had. And so the negative testimony that Jotaphys had, it was first marked by he was devoid of humility, he wouldn't receive the word, but he spoke evil against God's servants. Look in verse number 10. The Bible says, Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind the deeds which he does, pratting against us with malicious words. That is to say, he's, he's talking nonsense. He's, he's stirring people up against us. He, he, he didn't like anybody that wasn't on his side. Man, he was against them. He were, you were going to be a part of his kingdom or you were out. He literally, in the vernacular day, he had a lot of little minions within the life of the church. And he had purchased them, most likely, and had bought them with good deeds and platitudes and all that. But if anybody wasn't on his side, he was absolutely against them. And so John, who was in charge of Jesus' mother, who Christ had more confidence in than any other disciple, Jotaphes didn't want anything to do with him because he wouldn't support his kingdom. But not only that, his negative testimony was marked by this. He plotted against real disciples. It wasn't enough just to speak against them and say, well, that's not a good guy. I don't like them, or to put, talk behind their back you know, and run them down. And remember this, you know, uh, flattery is something people say to your face that they'd never say behind your back. Um, but, but gossip's something, you know, people will talk about your, behind your back that they'll never say to your face. So he would just gossip and, run, and even create things about people to, to try to cause people to lose confidence in John. You don't need to listen to John. You don't need to listen to him. But not only that, he would try to plot against these individuals. Look again, verse number 10. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind the deeds which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. And so he was trying to church people, friend, not that we're out of line with God's word and we're tearing down discipleship and we're being a distraction to discipleship, someone that we'd call spiritual terrorists. He wanted to put out of the church anybody that was on God's side. And so it was his sole intent to get rid of anybody that looked like Jesus Christ. Well, notice John's advice about this negative testimony. First off, in verse number 10, John says, I'll call to mind his deeds when I come, which he does. John says, I'm going to confront him. Now, we don't know if any of the other leaders within the church had tried to. We don't know if, um, you know, he was dug in so deep, Dr. Fizz was, that they, they couldn't do anything with him. 
The, the Bible doesn't say, but it's possible that it's like most southern churches. They said, well, we just don't want any conflict. We just want everybody to, to get along. But friend, if you'll notice the truth of this text, his testimony was having a negative impact on the fulfillment of Great Commission ministry in the life of the church. And problems don't just go away on their own. God calls leaders to stand against things that Satan will try to do or through people he tries to use to hinder the furtherance of the gospel. Friend, I'm telling you, the most serious business on this earth is not what the CIA is doing in some foreign country today to try to protect our freedoms. It's not what some special forces unit may be doing somewhere unbeknownst to us today. The most important business on the face of this earth is leading souls to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And anything that the devil tries to do or any person that he tries to use to thwart that, we as leaders and within the life of the church, we ought to stand against that. And we ought to speak against it. And that's exactly what John says he's going to do. I'm going to call to mind his deeds, which he does. You can't just ignore problems because the problems have an impact listen to what the apostle paul said to the elders at ephesus in acts chapter 20 began to read in verse number 27 he says for i've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of the word of god paul says while i was with you i didn't give you my opinion i didn't tell you little stories i didn't try to build a kingdom for myself he said it was all about building the kingdom of god and I did that with the word of God. Now, Paul's about to depart from them. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Paul says that means there within the life of the church are leaders who will be... Don't perk up and listen to me, church family, listen. There are leaders within the life of the church that Christ will hold accountable for the local church that will hold accountable for what takes place and what is allowed to take place within the life of the church. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's a reminder again, friend, we're simply stewards of what belongs to Christ. And he didn't pay for it with disposable income. And you hear that a lot. You know, well, we've... I mean, who's got disposable income today? People, I remember talking to a guy one time that owned a house on Lake Martin. And uh, this is down in Alabama near Ellick City. And he was telling me, you know, how much the, the house was that they were living in. And it was, uh, you know, he represented the company that was selling them. He said, well, most of our people, this isn't their primary residence. Who buy houses? I said, you're kidding. He says, no. He said, this is usually their second or maybe third house. He said, I said, well, how is that possible? He said, they have disposable income. I said, I've never put those two words together. What does that mean? He says, well, they've got money that, you know, it's just, it, it, it's just there. And so it's extra, and they use it to make an investment. Friend, listen, when Jesus purchased the church, he didn't use something that was disposable. When God purchased the church, friend, he used the body and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's his. It doesn't belong to any one person. And we're simply stewards of that. And we ought to take care of it, 
better than we received it, and we ought to be able, when we're through in this life, to be able to pass it on to the next generation better than we found it, as best that we are able, doing all that we can. He says, for I know, listen to verse 29, here it is. This is the influence of a negative testimony. He says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Trying to build their own kingdom. And John says, when I get there, if nobody else will do it, he said, when I get there, I'm going to find the altar face and I'm going to look him straight in the eye and I'm going to confront him in love about what he's doing. And remember, friend, again, this isn't personal. It's not John against Diotrephes. It's John, an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, simply standing up on behalf of Christ for the kingdom of God and addressing an individual that the devil is using to destroy the church and to lead disciples away. That's the influence of a negative testimony. And so John says you have to confront that within the life of the church, within your family. And friend, listen. The Holy Spirit will confront you. And God may send a friend along to say, hey, man, look, I love you, but I'm telling you, you've got something in your life that's out of line. And listen, I'm not trying to point to your speck where I've got a log in my eye. I've already laid myself bare before God. And I've said, God, if there's anything in my life I need to know, would you show it to me? And so I'm coming to you and telling you, you've got a problem. And I want to tell you something, friend. That's a real friend that'll do that. What kind of friend would allow somebody to stand heels over the edge of a cliff and not reach out and try to grab them before they fell off that cliff and say, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, I'm afraid they'll be upset and mad with me. Friend, I thank God I've got real Christian friends and a real Christian spouse that if there's something in my life that's out of line, I know they're going to come and say, man, God, God laid this on my heart and I want to talk to you in love. And so John's going to come and he's going to confront Diotrephes, not only for his own good, but for the good of the church. But also John's advice is this. Look at verse number 11. Don't be like Diotrephes. Don't be like him. Don't be that kind of angel. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He said this guy is pure evil, and that's what it is. But see, we try to shellack it in life church. We'll say, well, well, that's just how they've always been. And that's just the way it is. Well, that's just old so-and-so. Well, John doesn't say it that way. John says that's evil. Why? Because the devil can use it to try to steer somebody away from Christ or a young disciple away from growing in Christ. He says, don't be like this. Don't imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good, this is present continuous again. Do you remember in 1 John 3 when John was talking about present continuous sin in the life of a person indicates that they've never been born again? Help your pastor out make him feel like I'm actually having an effect. Do you remember that? Praise the Lord. And so this is a present continuous verb as well. It says, he who, he who does good, a present continuous good, that is good in, in, in line with the Word of God, says is of God. But he who does evil has not seen God. Doesn't matter how long they've been a member of the church, how long their religious resume is, here's an indicator. 
if their life in ministry, the fruit of it, is out of line with God's word, they are of the devil. Now, I didn't say that, friend. Who said that? God said that. He says, don't, don't be like that person. And Paul takes it really a step further. Listen to what Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18 says. Paul says, I urge you, not just I, you know, I, this might be good for you. In the strongest sense, Paul says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Well, that's contrary to what? The Word of God. He says, note those individuals. Now listen to these three words. And avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, I want to tell you, friend, one of the things that breaks my heart in ministry and just is one of the greatest headaches and challenges is to see simple-minded people in the life of the church just swing the front gate of the church open for a wolf. Say, well, come on in. Come on in. And all that to feed the wolves. Oh, yeah. Have it, just Listen, find your sheep and have your way. Paul says, friend, it's a serious thing. We need to be serious-minded about it. Is it personal? It's no. It's ministry. And we are called to be ambassadors of the Lord's work. And friend, I'm telling you, hear me this morning. Every member of this church who's been born again will give an account to Christ one day with the, with the wolves you help come in, the wolves you help stay, and the wolves you help feed that have one goal in mind. And that's to destroy the work of the Lord. It's hard. Listen, this is a hard text. But it's serious business. And I submit to you the reason many a church here in the South is so ineffective is because there are boss hog theotrophes that are running the church rather than men led by the Holy Spirit because people won't stand up for God. And they bow down to the theotrophes. And the Word of God never goes forth and never accomplishes what God desires. And so there's the, there's the influence of a negative testimony. Well, let's lean on something positive this morning. Notice the influence of a positive testimony. Look at verse number one of our text. He says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. He said, Can I just share? It's easy to love people like Gaius. We still have to love the Diotrephes. You know, maybe you've got a secret that I haven't figured out. But boy, it's tough to love them, is it not? It is, because you see the effect that they have. And so, but we got to keep loving them, pray that they get saved and pray for them, but still be true to what God holds us to do as leaders. But man, people like Gaius, are they not just a blessing in the life of the church? He says, man, I love this guy. He says, and I'm praying for this guy, spiritually and physically. Look at verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. What is it about Gaius' testimony that was such an encouragement? Well, first off, he received the gospel. Look at verse number two. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and in health just as your soul prospers. Gaius had been born again. That's the basis of it all, friend. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and he did your testimony that influences people to Christ and to spiritual good, it all flows out of that foundation, whether you've ever been born again. But not only that, he received the word of God. Look at verse number three. 
He said, I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Well, truth is Scripture. It's the Word of God. Remember those four words that we tied to the study of Scripture? No, stow, show, and so. So he knew the Word. No, and then you what? Stow it. He says, that. He says man, I, I, I rejoice greatly. Look at verse 3. When the brethren come from the church and testify of the truth that's in you. He says, you've received it. There's not one word you say, well, now I don't like that. I don't like that kind of preaching. And I don't like that kind of teaching. Whatever God's word had to say, he knew it was perfect. He knew it was for his good. And he received it. Even if his life was out of line with it, then he yielded himself that God might get him in line with the word. Not fighting against the messenger. Why? Because Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus was praying, God, set these disciples apart by your word. Friend, listen to me. Your spiritual life never rises above the time you spend in God's word, but you have to receive that word that you're reading. You have to receive. Not just here at church. My friend, if you're not feeding yourself each week, you're going to starve to death spiritually. This is just a special opportunity for us to be obedient to a command of God, forsake not the sinning of yourselves together, but to come together as a local church and only sing praises to God, to pray for one another, but also to study God's word together before we're deployed back out into the field that's wide unto harvest. So he received the gospel, he received the word, but not only that, friend, he obeyed the word. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 3. I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. No, stow, and what? Show. He, He lived out the word daily. He just didn't know it. Friend, listen. So many people mark their Bibles, but the question is this. Is the Bible marking you? Is it changing the way you speak? Husbands, is it changing the way you love your wives? Wives, is it changing the submission that you have to a godly husband? Is it causing you to to live in the community as missionaries because that's what God's Word commands us to do? Know God's Word, stow God's Word, but then show God's Word. James 1.22, to be a doer of the Word. And that was a testimony of his life. Somebody talked about Gaius. They'd say, man, I remember when that guy got saved. He loves to hear the Word of God taught. He's always reading the Bible that he has. And boy, I want to tell you something. He's a doer of it. Gaius is a godly man because he does God's word. But not only that, friend, his testimony was this. He discovered his spiritual gift and calling. He recognizes all disciples are supposed to, that God gives disciples at least one spiritual gift to be used in the life of the church. And he discovered what God's calling was. You see, this was something else about his testimony that's tied to this point. See, when Gaius, when he came to church, he didn't come with a bib on. He came with an apron. See, most, most, most church members in places, notice I said in places, they, they come with a bib on. Feed me. I need to be fed. I've got, well, friend, we all need the Word of God. But we're to come, listen, God didn't save you, friend, to, to give you mush and milk toast the rest of your life. He saved you that you might grow up and get off the meat. Not just to get you out of hell, but sanctification is this, friend. It's getting hell out of you so that you can be used by God and so that you can serve 
in the life of the local church. And Gaius recognized this. He said, God's placed a calling on my life. Look at verse number 5. He said, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. He says, what God's called you to do, you do it. You just, you do it, and you do it faithfully. Nobody had to write him a card to see where he had been. Nobody had to check out, you know, Gaius wasn't gone for five weeks, and everybody had to wonder what, did, what, did, what they'd done to hurt him. You couldn't hurt Gaius. Because, it, again, you want to know why? Ministry's not personal. It's not personal. It's about serving the Lord. Jesus first, others second, me last. And so he discovered what God's calling was, and he did it. And he did it so well to help prepare and equip uh, and, and supply people with the things that they needed for Great Commission work. Then look what the Bible says in verse 7. All these people go forth for Christ's name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. That is, man, you send people out of your church fully equipped for Great Commission work. Now listen, there's, 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 that's a twofold responsibility. One, he's got to do the preparing, but somebody's got to receive. And so we can share and we can try to equip, but if you won't receive the word, that's not the church's fault. That's your fault. Somebody tried to encourage the Otterfest to Christ, but he wouldn't receive it. But here Gaius is doing his part, and it shares that there's a local church that receives these things. And John says there are people going out from that church into the community who were winning people to Jesus Christ. But notice this also about his testimony. He served for God's glory. Gaius never got his feelings hurt that somebody didn't send him a thank you note. That his name wasn't in the bulletin. They didn't even have a bulletin. It was all about God's glory. Look at verse number 6. Who have borne witness of your love before the church, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. A man showed up to my office 20 years ago. And uh, he had a shirt on. I mean, he'd just been out and about, but it, it wasn't ironed. And I wouldn't have known that if he hadn't brought it to my attention. It was a flannel shirt. You know, flannel shirts are bad right around here, around the button part. When you wash them, everything, you know what I'm talking about? They turn, whatever this little thing my jig is right here, the little button holder, they all turn in. And he said, he said, my wife's mad at me this morning. And I thought, well, why is she, why she mad at you? And then I thought about his wife, and I thought, well, that's probably a common thing for her because she was, anyway, she was an irritable lady. So she was irritated at him. And he says, she's mad at me. And I said, why? He says, because I left the house in an unironed shirt. And I thought, well, so what? But he made the point. He said, she looked at me and she said, when you leave this house, you don't just represent you, you represent me. It makes everybody think that I don't care enough to iron your clothes. And friend, I want to tell you something. When we go out into this world, we're not just representing the family name. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Gaius took serious, friend, when he sent people out, he was sending people out for God's glory. He served that Christ would be glorified in all things. He served in a manner that was worthy of God. The Otrephes, he didn't do that. He served for his own glory. 
He loved pats on the back. He loved for people to say, oh, Diotrephes, nobody does like he does now. His ministry is so special. He just goes over the top. and all things. It's all about Diotrephes, not Gaius. If you tried to brag on him, it'd almost make him sick. He would say, Gaius was the type of saying, no, 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 no. All to the glory of Almighty God. That was his testimony. So what was John's advice about this positive testimony? Let's look again in verse number 8. He says, we therefore ought to receive such. He says, just like he's sending people out and the way he sent them out, we ought to do this. He said, the way he does ministry is the way we ought to do ministry. He said, this guy's got a positive testimony. And notice what happened, the impact it had. He says in verse number 12, Demetrius also has a good testimony from all, and it's from the truth itself. You hear me this morning, church family. Those of you that name the name of Christ, you're either influencing people to Christ or away from Christ. There's no in-between. Your audible and lived-out testimony is influencing people to Christ or away from Christ. Mom and dad, you're influencing your children to Christ or away from Christ. Grandparents, the same. There's no in-between. This, well, do as I say, not as I do. No! You're influencing them to Christ or away from Christ. And this powerful testimony that he had, man, it made a difference in Demetrius' life. And he, he followed. And notice what he says here of Demetrius. He says, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. He says, and everyone bears witness of this. And we, we bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. He has a good testimony from all, from all godly, biblical people. Now listen to me. Here's a little caveat. Everybody's got a good testimony. It just matters who you ask. Adolf Hitler had a great testimony from those who espoused the way he saw life. And so John here is talking about when he says from all, he says all great commission Christians who love the Lord, they look at Demetrius and say, man, he's just like Jesus Christ. Well, how did he get that way? Well, he chose to respond to the word, but Gaius influenced him. He had a positive impact on Demetrius' life. And so the word also bears witness of this. It wasn't just that John says, listen to me, don't miss this part. It wasn't just that John said, now this is what we think determines whether somebody has a good testimony or not. Look in verse 12 again. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. That means the word of God bears out that he has a good testimony. Why? Because his life was in line with the word of God. What are people doing today? They're trying to find a Bible or a place that will preach and teach what's in line with them. But that's not what a disciple does that wants to be like Jesus Christ, friend. We take the Word of God and say, God, you make me into, into the likeness of Christ. Not trying to find a religion that's in the likeness of you. And so he had a, he had a testimony that impacted people. That's why the Apostle Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 1, he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul didn't just come up with on his own of what he thought a good life would be. He humbled himself to the Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and he obeyed that, and he says, you imitate me. He says, if you can't find anybody to imitate, imitate me, because I'm imitating Jesus Christ in all things. 
So you're either influencing others to Christ or away. And it, it sure is interesting that John and Gaius, they surely influenced the Diotrephes to Christ. They tried to share with him, to encourage him to share the gospel. But Diotrephes rejected that influence because it, it convicted him that he would have to surrender his kingdom. You see, friend, the only kingdom you'll ever be able to be a part of if you're saved is the kingdom of God. You've got to surrender the keys and the deed to everything you have and everything you are to the Lord Jesus Christ. He must be Lord of everything. And so it really comes down to this, you know, for every disciple in this church. You know, who do I want to be in life? Look up at me. We're, we're going to go to invitation in a minute. Look up at me. Who do I want to be? You know, do I want to be a Gaius? Who the Bible says had a strong testimony just like Christ? Or do I want to be somebody like Diotrephes? Who the Bible says their life, some told their life, is really evil. They're a spiritual terrorist. You know, and, and how do I want to finish? How do I want to finish? I use this illustration at funerals from time to time. But it's, it's a powerful truth. You listen to me. One of these days, friend, unless you go in the rapture, your family's going to gather around your dead body or your ashes. And they're going to take it out to a piece of dirt. And they're going to put it in the ground. And then days later, somebody's going to come from a memorial company. And they're going to place a granite at the head of where or the feet of wherever your body was placed. And your name's going to be on that. Underneath it, there'll probably be a verse or something about you that the family agreed on. But there's going to be two dates that are going to be on that footstone or headstone. The first one is your birthday. It's when you took your first breath in this world. When the doctor slapped your bottom and you took your first... That's your birthday. That's when you started here on this earth. And then the last date is the day you drew your last breath. But there's something else that's on the tombstone. There's a dash. There's a dash in between those two numbers. I want you to listen to me. It stands for something. That's your testimony. And if yesterday your dash stands for something that you're embarrassed by, you realize just this morning through this text that you need a fresh start, then can I encourage you, man? Receive that in Jesus Christ today. The past is the past. And you can finish strong as a disciple in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, he had some things that he was not pleased with in his past. But in Philippians chapter 3, he could say, I, I forget those things that are behind, and I press forward to the things that are ahead in Jesus Christ. And so my prayer this morning is this, that every person within the sound of my voice will leave this room today. One, having been born again, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But two, having a sold-out commitment to have a testimony in this world that influences people to Christ and not away from Christ. Let's bow our heads. That testimony all begins, friend, with spiritual life. If you've never turned from sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life, won't you do that? John did it. Gaius did it. Demetrius did it. Won't you trust Christ to be Lord of you today? The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you turned from sin and trusted Christ to be Lord of you?
If you've never done that, do it this morning. Friend, it is what Christmas is all about. And he shall save them from their sins. Paul says in Romans 6, 23, that what Christ offers to all mankind from the cross, it's the gift of God. It's a gift. It's everlasting life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Once you receive that gift this morning by faith, choose to turn from sin and trust Christ to be Lord of you. Tell him so in the simple prayer of faith where you sit today just like this. God, forgive me for the sin that's in my life. I turn from it. I forsake it. I believe Christ died on the cross. I believe he rose from the grave to pay for my sin and to offer me life. And as I turn from sin, I surrender all of me to Jesus today. Be Lord of my life. I trust Christ to be Lord today. If you prayed that prayer in a minute, I'm going to stand here at the front in just a moment. Would you not make your way to the front and say, I've settled it today. I've trusted Christ to be Lord of my life. Friend, what's the impact of your testimony? Not just here at the church, but down at the job site. Under the shingles that you call a house. With your neighbors. What's your testimony? My friend, if you're ashamed of that today, would you not embrace a new one that you can have in Jesus Christ as a disciple? Maybe what you need to do today is just confess what has been built into your life that doesn't need to be there. Ask God to rip it out and to start building again in you the life and the testimony that He wants. Maybe pray just like this. God, thank you for the day you saved me. But I realize today my testimony is not what it should be. It's because the reality is I'm not all in for Jesus Christ. There's, there's unconfessed sins of commission and omission. There's things I'm not doing I should be doing. I confess that. I turn from it. Oh God, create a fresh heart in me today. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. God, give me a second chance today. And God, help build a testimony that influences people to you and not away from you, not for my glory but for your glory and the upbuilding of your kingdom. Father, I pray you will speak to your church. God, I pray your spirit will accomplish that which you desire today. God, I pray as a pastor that you will continue to grow and develop leaders within the life of this church that have hearts of compassion. But Lord, also, we are bulldog mean about protecting the spiritual integrity of your church, which you bought with your precious blood, and we'll be the stewards of that church you've called us and you demand us to be in these days. Bless this invitation in Christ's name. Let's reverently stand our feet.